Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Listen, turn with me to the book of Acts. This is a short message, and somebody told me this last week that I say that every week. And I feel like they're all short. And then my mother-in-law was reminding me that actually, Zach, you preach for an hour every week. And how many of y'all just want to say thank God for mother-in-laws this morning in the house? Anybody? Yes. I see that hand. Brother, I saw that hand. And then we started doing the math because that's what we do. When you get around Doreen, you start doing math. And sure enough, it seems as though I do preach for an hour because the service is two hours long and we do worship for an hour. But look what God was doing down here at the altar this morning. All right? So thank you, Lord. I will not preach for an hour. I will preach for just under. All right. Just kidding. Acts chapter 9. This is actually a short message. And fortunately, it's one that everybody knows really well because it's a, one of those passages that it, it, uh, it sort of um, it goes down in the books. It's, it's, it's in those messages that you hear. It's in those stories that you hear. And it's the story of Saul's conversion. Saul on the road to Damascus. And this is a really cool story for a number of reasons, but the one that I'm going to talk about for a minute this morning is not, probably, probably not one that we've talked about. It's not really one that I've thought about before, but I want to draw your attention to the fact that in Acts chapter 9, in the first 16 verses, there are a handful of verses in red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, then you know what that means. It means that these are the words of Jesus. Now, at this point, we are between the Gospels and Revelation, right? So the Gospels is where Jesus was walking and talking and doing his ministry, uh, having his disciples and performing miracles and feeding thousands and blah, 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 blah. And so it makes sense that we have dialogue with the Lord there. He's narrating his story. Uh, actually, you know, his friends are. But at the end of the day, when Jesus ascends into heaven, until we get to the book of Revelation, there aren't a lot of, of these sorts of dialogues that I know of anyway. And so what happens is my attention is captured at the reality of the fact that Jesus himself shows up. Jesus himself, he doesn't send an angel, okay? He doesn't just send a sign. Jesus gets involved. And so when I see that, that tells me, number one, we are living between the Gospels and the book of Revelation. Amen? So it doesn't really matter how many thousands of years have gone by or how many more thousands of years will go by. What matters is we are in this dispensation of grace. We are in this era uh, when the same things that were true um, in the Gospels, they're true now. The same thing that happened in the book of Acts, it's true now. And so Verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 9 of the book of Acts, this is after Acts 2, this is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is after the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken by the prophet Joel. So we're here. This is real time. We are living these moments. And so what I want to draw your attention to is the fact that this is a Christ encounter. This is a Christ encounter. This isn't just a... This isn't just a you know, somebody preaching the Bible, although that's really powerful too. This isn't just a, somebody operating in their gift. This is the Lord showing up and encountering Saul 
And so we're going to go through this, uh, these first handful of verses and just talk about some truths that we need to learn, some truths about the Lord that we need to learn from an encounter with him. So verse 1 says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way, some of your Bibles will capitalize that word, the way. Reason is, is because the way was what they called Christianity before they called it Christianity. Christians were first called Christians where? Antioch. Thank you, Professor McWilliams. Uh, Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of the development of the early church, the book of Acts is where it happens, right? So we see that actually happening. Berea, all these things happen in the book of Acts. But at this point, it was still more familiar uh, to call this, these followers of Jesus this thing that people were doing where they were selling everything they had and they were having all things in common and they were you know, buying malls and moving in together and like, you know what I'm saying, putting in their doctor's office and their school and a helipad on the roof. And um, so they were doing all that kind of stuff and it was called The Way, okay? And I think that they decided on Christianity because The Way really does sound like a cult. <laughs> I'm thinking about making t-shirts. Will, are you in? I heard you have some pull with the uh, t-shirt girl, so. All right, so... It says that Saul is breathing threats and murder against the disciples, and he goes and asks for letters, basically um, blessing from, uh, from the synagogue leaders at Damascus um, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, why would he want to do that? Because he wanted to put him on trial. And I think sometimes we try to sugarcoat what Saul was really doing. We're like, Saul, I've seen him in caricatures and cartoons. He's, he's, he's personified by an asparagus in VeggieTales. So he, therefore, cannot be that bad of a guy. Let me tell you who Saul was. Saul was the guy who participated in the stoning of Stephen. The Bible says that he held the coats of people. He was working the coat check. At the stoning of Stephen, the very first martyr, Saul was there. And he went on a fast track from there, straight down the path of persecuting Christians, right up to death. The reason he wanted to bring men and women bound to Jerusalem from Damascus was to see them be put to death. Okay? In fact, if you've heard Pastor John's theories on this, Pastor John talks about how, how he believes that um, part of the thorn in Paul's side was the guilt that the enemy plagued him with over the martyrdom uh, that, that he carried out of early believers, which is kind of an interesting spin, and I like that. Um, I like that. I think, it's, I think that's real. I, I, it's not in Scripture, but I think when we see the heart of this man and how God shifted him, I think if the enemy could find a kink in his armor, it would be guilt over what he had done to harm the very thing that he found himself living for. So... If you were with us uh, six years and five months ago, I preached a message, and one of my points was uh, Saul went from being a Christian killer to a killer Christian. That's not one of my points today, but it's one of my mother-in-law's favorite ones that she keeps reminding me of. So I love that you got that tattooed. I think that's so cool. I just feel like it was a, a breakaway from your Nazarene, from your Nazarene path, and I just, I'm, I'm so proud of you. 
I love that. Lord, thank you for freedom in the house this morning. So watch this. So he's trying to get sanctioned letters. He wants permission slips from synagogue leaders to go ahead and persecute, tie up, handcuff believers, and bring them to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, in verse 3, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Right? When I see flashing lights in heaven, my mind automatically goes to, like, a disco ball coming down and, like, a laser light show and smoke. And I feel like there was some, like, dubstep and some EDM that started. And it was just like the Lord comes down and says to him in red letters, in a voice, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What? I want us to appreciate for a second how backwards this would have seemed to Saul. Saul was doing the will of God. He was purifying the house of Israel from all of these uh, blaspheming followers of the way. Okay? Now, to be blinded, to fall off his horse, somebody say, get off your high horse, Saul. It's cultish. It's downright cultish. We've got to be, be better. We're, we're going to do better, Lord. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Sounds like he kind of knows. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. If you're writing things down, get this this morning. An encounter with Christ will often redefine and redirect what you were doing for the Lord. An encounter with Christ will often redefine and redirect what you were doing for the Lord. Note what Saul was doing for the Lord. He thought he was helping him out. Not Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He was an Orthodox Jew at this point. He was a, a non-Jesus Jew, okay? He believed that the folks who were following this thing, who believed in the resurrection of Jesus, who, who believed that he was the only way to the Father, uh, you know, Saul was a champion of the law. He had a different way. And it was the Old Testament way. It was the, it was the follow the letter of the law. It was learn every rule. It was bind, uh, every, every, uh, bind the law to your arm and to your forehead and spend the time in prayer and spend the time in the synagogues and do your diligence. And that was how you earned God's approval. But his way was about to be redefined. And it was harsh. Jesus himself shows up, and in an encounter, he redefines it as persecution. What? How can you be so far off? How could it be that this guy who describes himself later as a Hebrew of Hebrews, okay, he was like, he was, he was the man in the synagogue. He was the guy, if anybody was going to know, it would have been him, and yet he missed it. He knew the word of God better than anybody in this room. 
and he missed it. An encounter with Christ will oftentimes redefine and redirect what you thought you were doing right, what you thought you were doing for him. Saul thought he was working for God, but he was actually working against him. If you're writing this down, get this too. An encounter with the Lord will expose our misled efforts. And saints, tragically, this is why many would rather not encounter him. This is why a devastating majority of Christians are 100% content to just show up in church, check the box, sing the song, pray the prayer, drop a few bucks in the box, and walk out. Because really encountering the Lord, really embracing his presence, it exposes it exposes, not only does it expose, as we've talked about in weeks and months past, we've talked about how uh, a, move of, of the, a move of the Lord exposes unclean things. It exposes um, unclean spirits. It exposes the demonic. Well, it also exposes the things in our flesh that are there thinking we're doing God a favor when really we're causing harm to the kingdom. And so saints... I, my, my prayer as I'm reading through this and studying through this and as I'm preaching through it this morning, my prayer is that we're sort of open to the idea that, wow, we could be living for God for 30-something, 40, 50 years and, and really miss something important. And if we're open to the idea of God having an encounter with us, I say that because a lot of times we call it us having an encounter with God, but, but that's just because we're selfish and American. But at the end of the day, if we're really open to him encountering us, showing up, then we need to be open to him exposing our misled efforts as well. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, in red letters. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, See the difference? See the difference? Jesus calls Saul by name, and Saul says, who are you? Jesus calls Ananias by name, and Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Somebody had a relationship. Somebody knew the voice. And John 10 says, my sheep know my voice. And when I call, there's not a lot of guesswork. There's not a lot of trial and error as to whether or not this is God. There's not a lot of fleeces that we have to put out. There's just... I know his voice, and I know that tug on my heart, and I can hang my hat on the intimacy that I have with him. Ashley and I do a lot of um, meetings and counseling and things like that with people, and it's funny because now we do, we'll, we'll be married 15 years next week, by the way. Babe, is it next week? It's next week-ish, ish. 15, 15 years. And at this point, you know, people say, well, you know, after a certain number of years, you finish each other's sentences and blah, 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 blah. We start each other's sentences and then, you know, look at each other to see if, you know, we need to submit to them finishing it. But really, we just kind of let each other do the talking for us now at this point. And so uh, what's interesting is we'll be sitting with somebody talking and I, I, I look and we're like, we're nodding at the exact same time at the same pace. And then we say, yeah, at the same time. Then we go, 
Mm. And then we go, that's awesome. And I'm like, this is weird. We need to stop doing meetings together because it's just like redundant at some point. But when you're really walking in intimacy with the Lord, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I was joking about um, being asked to serve on a board a while back for a ministry, and the people that had asked were saying, you know, everybody that we ask says we need to go and pray about it. And what I'm saying, I think I said it to the first service, and I think I forgot it in the second, but what I'm saying is too often our response is I need to go and pray about that. I, I, I think the Lord is looking for a bride that prays without ceasing in such a way that if we're constantly in prayer, the Lord's already put it in our heart. I don't need to pray about it. I can give you a hard yes or a hard no right now, especially if my wife's there with me. <laughs> I can give you a hard yes or a hard no right now. You know why? Because I know his voice. And He's speaking preemptively. He's speaking proactively to us, saints. Amen? Good. So he says to Ananias, Ananias. And Ananias says back to him, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up. Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's saying that like Ananias doesn't know who he is, but he knows that Ananias knows that he knows who, Ananias, who, who Saul is. Okay? But he does this for a reason. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, this is where it gets real. This is where you're reminded that Ananias is just a normal guy like the rest of us, okay? But Ananias, in black letters now, not red letters, answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, okay, back to the red letters, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. ruh -roh. Jesus is about to play the Saul. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias, especially hearing that last part about Saul's suffering, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Amen. So this is the story of Saul's conversion. If you never heard it before, at, the, at, the, at the, the baseline of this story are two, not one, but two encounters with Christ. The first one being Saul's. The second one being Ananias's. An encounter with the Lord, if you're an Ananias in the room this morning, an encounter with the Lord will often bring you exactly what you've been avoiding. I heard that, boo. You're dismissed. An encounter with the Lord will bring you exactly what you've been avoiding. you got to understand, Ananias was a follower. He was a disciple. He knew the Lord's voice when the Lord called him by name. He knew who Jesus was. 
And he had likely already made great sacrifices and great strides and was greatly invested in the kingdom as it was being established there in Damascus. And yet, when he encounters the Lord or the Lord encounters him, what happens is a very unforeseen transaction. He says, hey, there's this guy named Saul. And I said, I'm sorry, what now? I must have misunderstood you. It couldn't be Saul. He's the guy we're hiding from. We have a whole underground railroad thing happening in Damascus, okay? I'm sitting here with this vision right now in Uncle Tom's cabin trying to hide from Saul. I don't want to find Saul. I don't want Saul to find me. I'm glad he's blind. That helps my efforts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay where I am, and you can just keep Saul where he is. An encounter with the Lord will often bring you exactly what you've been avoiding. You see, every Christian would have been avoiding Saul like the plague. But this encounter, this encounter, an encounter with the Lord will pretty much always lead you to people. And I would turn the heat up on that because I think we're ready for it to say, an encounter with the Lord will lead you to people you may have been avoiding. People you don't want to confront. People you don't want to have a conversation with, let alone have to lay hands on them and see them develop and grow. <laughs> An encounter with the Lord may call for the right gifts in the wrong place. See, when we're judging places by our rubric, we, we, we already have determinations. We've already drawn a line somewhere in our lives, and we've got right places and wrong places. We've got right people and wrong people. But an encounter with the Lord will call for the right gifts, the ones he's put in you, the ones that the Lord sovereignly saw fit to impart into your life to talents that he's bestowed upon you. And if you remember Pastor Shane Lima up here a couple weeks ago talking about how important that stewardship is. See, sometimes I think we don't just go hide our gifts because we have such a fear of the Lord like the guy did in that parable. I think we go hide our gifts because we've decided that we're going to be the judge of where and when and to whom they get used. Wow. People ask now, why, why, don't, why don't great miracles happen today in America? Why do I have to go to the third world country or overseas missions trip? Why don't, why don't we see the same stuff? Why don't we see people raised from the dead? Well, first of all, I believe we are going to. Steve Salvatore. I think it's going to happen in Providence. And I think it's going to happen because you're ballsy enough to pull it off. All right? Because that's what it takes. and You've got it. But here's the hard truth. I believe that we're missing out on so much of the supernatural power that heaven longs to manifest through us because we're deeming situations not worthy of that power. We're calling the shots. An encounter with the Lord may call for the right power and the wrong purpose, according to you. Ananias might have been a healer. Ananias may have seen blind eyes open. Ananias may have laid hands on people in the streets as it was commonplace for the disciples to do. He may have seen people raised from the dead at the prayers of his own hands. 
And yet, when it comes to Saul, he's going to argue back with the Lord. I wonder how often, how much time we waste, how much ground we lose, how many miracles we don't see, because our doubt is not in God and our doubt is not in ourselves. Our doubt is whether or not they're worthy of it. We think supernatural power is for our comfort, but it's really for the Lord's command. Amen. And then I just want to draw your attention to this sort of, this one will slip through the cracks, but it's so good. Again, red letters, Jesus says it. But for the Lord said to him in verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the, listen to this, Gentiles, kings, and sons of Israel. What's so weird about that statement? It's out of order. That's what's weird about it. It's out of order. If you ask any Jew today, any Messianic Jew, they'll make sure that we grafted in ones understand that the gospel came for the Jew first. Right? It came for the Jew first. Right, Jesus said it, but we just get reminded of it. But what's interesting here is this order that Jesus presents to Ananias. Not only does he say he's a chosen instrument of mine, but it's to bear my name and watch how he lays it out. Gentiles, kings, and then the sons of Israel. Now, any, any, um, any good proselytized Jew at this point, any, anybody who had grown up in all the tradition but had been exposed to the teachings of Jesus or the gospel or had been filled with the Holy Spirit and was now a follower of the way, you've got to understand something, that they would still understand this to be backwards. They would get it. You see, it's, it's, everything's fresh right now. If you're familiar with this uh, story, then you'll know that it's not until another whole chapter when Peter shows up at Cornelius' house and there's a vision where a sheet is lowered down from heaven and all sorts of unclean animals escape from it. And the Lord says to Peter, go ahead, kill and eat. And Peter says, what are you talking about? I can't eat that. This is a trick, right? This is a test. But come to find out, and then a council at Jerusalem would be held to, to really sanction this and, and declare it as truth, that the Gentiles were now worthy to hear the gospel. That the Gentiles would now uh, be able to bear that name of Jesus themselves. But look what Jesus is doing ahead of schedule. Preemptively. Proactively. He's giving Ananias a spoiler. And he's saying... Saul isn't the only one out of order here. Saul persecuting believers in my name, he's not the only one out of order here. Ananias, I'm about to flip everything upside down. Everything you thought you knew, I'm about to switch it. Maybe you know, maybe you've also heard of this guy named Peter, Ananias. Well, Peter is, as we speak, being prepped for a vision and Cornelius, a Gentile, is being prepped for conversion. 
and things are stirring in spiritual places that you don't know about. So trust me when I say, get up. Get up and go to a street called Straight. And there you'll find a man named Saul. Would you stand with me this morning? So again, he finally, he finally gets that uh, response he's looking for out of Ananias when he says, by the way, this whole thing is to show Saul how much he's going to suffer for me. Saul, Ananias finally says, I'm in. And so he goes. But I just want to point this out. An encounter with the Lord will change you. Saul gets a lot of the credit for the encounter in this story because Saul's name actually changes to Paul, right? He actually, he takes on a whole new identity but carries with him the testimony of who he used to be. And right up until he gave his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul would serve the Lord, writing the better part of the New Testament. But it started here. It started with an encounter. And saints, I believe that many Christians today, many American followers uh, of, of church tradition, we'll say, today, in 2023, we are somewhere in this conversion process. We think we've been doing it right, and the Lord's done something rather abrupt to us. Maybe he's knocked you off your high horse. Maybe he's blinded you. But somehow it stopped there. You see, that, that incident, that experience was only meant to last three days. I mean, we're not told how long Ananias and Jesus go back and forth. They make it look really short, but sometimes I feel like Jesus paints his followers in a, in a better light than they really were. Just kidding. But Ananias, he steps to it. There's obedience and surrender. He shows up. He prays for him. Saul's eyes are opened. He eats and is strengthened. Man, I feel like I could preach like nine messages out of this passage, but I'm not going to. We're going to get out of here, and we're going to do it early in Jesus' name. But the point that I want to make, the point that I want to close with is this, that somewhere in there we stop, and what was meant to maybe be three days of blindness what was meant to maybe just be three days, a momentary blip on the radar of incapacitation for us. We've accepted it. We've adopted it as a season. And now we're ordering everything in Braille. Well, I'm fine. I'm at somebody's house. Somebody's leading me around by the hand. I just sit here and starve to death. Doesn't that describe so many Christians today, blind and starving to death? Why? We need to be receptive. We need to be, we need to be acceptive. Saints, if you're Saul in the room or you're Ananias in the room, we need to know his voice. We need to stop shunning the idea of an encounter with the Lord just because we're afraid of something being exposed. Man, the, the, the most powerful men and women of God that I know 
I, I hear their prayers and they sound like this. God, if there be any wicked way in me, show it to me. And it's like the people that you're like, no, I got this one, Lord. There's nothing wicked in you. Okay, you, you got to figure it out. But the humility, the self-awareness to say, Lord, I kind of suck at doing inventory. Could you just do it? What about David, the man after God's own heart, crying out, Lord, search my heart because I don't trust myself with it. <laughs> Isn't that the prayer we ought to be praying? What would happen if we really let the Lord knock us off our high horse every once in a while? What if, what if when he wanted to blind us, instead of it being three months or three years or the rest of our lives, we said, God, how quick can we move on? Because this is real and I'm ready to live for it. An encounter with the Lord will change you. An encounter with the Lord will change you. Lord, we want to be changed. Whatever we think we've got figured out, whatever we think we're doing right, we want to be changed. Come and change us. Lord, we're desperate for an encounter with you. Lord, even if it hurts our tailbone a little bit, God, even if we get bruised up or knocked around in the process, God, I pray that however you need to do it, reveal yourself to us. Lord, our attention is on you this morning. I pray over the souls in the room that, that are absolutely, positively sure that they are doing your work. All the while disparaging your kingdom. God, I pray for the Ananiases in the room. Lord, who, who we know what we're after and we also know what we're avoiding. God, help us to be open to having our our, our trajectory changed at the sound of your voice. Lord, we know that you can move mountains. We know that you can part the seas. At the sound of your voice, you can send planets into flight. You can set stars and suns on fire. But God, can you move us today? Can you move us? Lord, there's people in this room and we need our names changed. And I thank you that you're still in the business of changing names. That you're still in the business of, of incapacitating us, handicapping us for the sake of your kingdom and your will. So Lord, whatever it takes, we surrender ourselves to that end that your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.